In today's age, it is very easy to follow anything. It is so easy to follow anything. For those of you who are in social media world, you know that you can follow your friends, superstars, actors, actresses, just by the click of a button. All you need to do to follow your favorite personality on TikTok is just scroll and click a button. And just like that, you're following them. If you want to follow Fox, you just turn on the TV and you can watch the Fox News station all day long. If you want to watch CNN, you can turn on CNN and watch it all day long. You can follow their newscast so easily. If you want to stay up to date on what's the current numbers of COVID-19 cases, if you want to know what the newspaper says, you can go follow these things just as easy. If you want to stay up with the Razorbacks, you can follow them just as well. You can turn on the radio, you can turn on the TV, there's podcasts, there's articles, there's a whole plethora of things of which you can access. And it's so easy for you to follow. But just because that things are easy to follow does not always mean that we should follow them. You see, there are a lot of false guys, quote unquote, pseudo messiahs, pseudo deliverers that would offer out pleasing life expectancies to us, but can actually in its return give none of it. But they beckon to you to follow they call you to follow after them, claiming that they have the answers for their, your joy and your entertainment in life. And without even knowing it, sometimes we can give all of our lives following after things that do nothing for us. Rather, I think we should follow after the one who delivers us. And for that to talk more through this, I would like for us to turn back to the gospel according to John. So you turn with me to the gospel according to John. John is the fourth of the gospels there in the New Testament. We've been going through chapter one. We'll finish up chapter one here today. It will begin reading for some context. I would like us to begin reading at verse 35 and we'll read through 51. John chapter one, we're getting reading at verse 36. And we'll finish through 51. Amen. And it reads as such. The next day, again, John was standing with his two disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus Jesus turned and saw him following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and, the, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, 
You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And, you was, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. May the Lord add a blessing to the hearers, doers of his holy and sanctified word. For a title today, I would like to use Jesus is the one to follow. Jesus is the one to follow. You see, our passage continues today early in Jesus's ministry. Most of it thus far is him gathering people and calling him, calling his first disciples or his first followers. As he is calling his disciples, we see this pattern or this parallel between his first two accounts from verses 35 through verses 51. So first we see the passages open up with the day opening. So in verse 35 and verse 43, you see the day opens. It's a new day and Jesus is going out to do ministry. On verse 43, we see the new day is opening up with Jesus going to Galilee. And then he, in this kind of pattern, we see that he calls someone new to follow him. In verse 37, we see it's the two disciples who used to follow John, but now are following Jesus. One of them happens to be Andrew. And then in verse 43, we see that he calls Philip. And then from there, those he find, they go out and find somebody else, saying to the people that they find that we have found the Messiah. We have found the deliverer. In verse 41, Andrew goes to find his brother Simon, saying we have found the Messiah. In verse 45, Philip goes to find Nathanael saying, we have found him whom Moses and the law, Moses' law and the prophets wrote about. See, both Nathaniel and Peter come and see for themselves who this Messiah really is. When both Nathaniel and Peter come to Jesus, he greets them as if he already knows them. But clearly, Peter and Nathaniel do not know or recognize Jesus. Verse 42, Jesus recognizes Simon and says, Simon, son of John, you should now be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 47, he tells Nathaniel, behold, indeed, an Israelite 
and who, indeed who there is no deceit. You see, clearly in Jesus' ministry, there's a great importance to calling people to follow him. You see, our primary focus today is to observe Jesus calling Nathaniel and Philip, whom he knows to follow him, so that they may know him as the Christ. I think that's going to be the main point of the passage. They're calling, he's calling Nathaniel and Philip so that they may know him as Christ. And through this, we will see important aspects of our salvation, our relationship with Christ and one another, and Jesus' desire for us to know him as the King and the Son of God. For a topic sentence or kind of a main point of our sermon today, I believe it will be this. We should follow the Son of God who found us, knows us, and reconciles us. We should follow the Son of God who found us, knows us, and reconciles us. And we'll use that kind of topic, kind of break up our three points. Follow the one who comes for us. Follow the one who knows us. And then follow the one who delivers us. But our first point, I'll repeat those again as we go through. But our first point, follow the one who comes for us. Verses 43 through 46. It says, the next day Jesus started to go to Galilee, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Many of the disciples of which Jesus were calling were around the area of Galilee, this Sea of Galilee, which is mostly where people Jesus was calling from. So if you go back to Matthew chapter four, verses 18 through 22, you'll see that it's right there in Galilee where he begins to call Peter, Andrew, John and James, these fishermen, which Jesus calls. And I believe this is where we must emphasize also the human nature of Jesus Christ. You see, he was just walking. He walked to these places. Uh, he was not floating on spiritual magic carpets. He was walking from place to place, from Nazareth to Galilee, to these different places to call people to follow him. In verse 43, we would tell that, that in Jesus' time now, in verse 43, he says his intentions is now to go to Galilee and to find Philip. He has an intention here. It's not just randomly moving about, but he says, I must go to Galilee to find Philip. And as he finds Philip without much notion of dialogue, I don't know if we're reading through the book of Gospel of John. John really loves dialogue. He loves kind of telling what the other person says and them talking back and forth to one another. But for some reason, when it comes to Jesus's dialogue with Philip, we are lacking all we see is this simple command giving by Jesus to follow me. And verse 44, we find that Philip being from Bethesda, like Andrew and Peter, it is quite possible that he may have heard of Jesus already. 
Maybe he heard from Andrew or Peter or James or John already about this Jesus. Maybe that's why there's not as much dialogue. Yet he still comes after him with this invitation to follow me. After Jesus comes to Philip in verse 45, Philip then turns and goes after Nathaniel. So some actually consider this to be Nathaniel actually to be Bartholomew the apostle. Uh, we don't see much about Philip, nor do we see much about Nathaniel slash Bartholomew throughout the New Testament. We we don't know much about them. So there's not much backstory that I can give to you. But Philip proclaims that he has found the one whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. This is his claim, which he makes to Nathaniel. But then we have to ask the question, well, what does Moses write in the law? What do the prophets say about this one who is coming? Well, when he talks about Moses in the law, this is really just another way of which uh, we say the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So what does he mean what Moses wrote in the first five books of the Bible? Well, we know that Moses wrote that there would be one who would put enmity between with you and the woman and between the offspring and her offspring and you shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So we see that in the garden in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. We see this is written in the law of Moses that there will be some redeemer who will come and bruise the head of the serpent and crush his head. So but also in Numbers chapter 24. We see that there's oracles given about one who would come for God's people. Numbers 24, 17, this oracle of Balaam is given. It says, I see, but do not now. I behold him, but do not. But he is not near. But he calls him a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. So it's given like these foreshadows of this great redeemer, this great deliverer, Messiah, a king to come to rescue his people. And there's more that can be said from the book of Moses, uh, from the law of Moses. But also we have to look at to what the prophets say. Now, if you're with us a few weeks ago, you noticed uh, as we were finishing out first Thessalonians that the prophecies say the prophets say much about a coming Jesus Christ, about a Messiah which will come. I invite you to go back to listen to those sermons. You can see more about how the prophets are actually pointing towards one who is coming, who is Jesus Christ. But for today, I think it's wise that we look at Zephaniah 3, which is printed on the back of your bulletin. Zephaniah 3, one of the prophets prophesies about this king of Israel, the Lord, which will be in the midst of all the people. And they should never fear evil again because the king is among them. So we have this prophecy given about one, this king who will come and be among his people. But see, now as we read through John, we see that this king, this prophesied king has come to find fishermen. This king has come to find nobodies from nobody towns. He's come to Bethsaida. He's come to find people who are barely teenagers, some of them. This king has come to find, basically, he's come to find his children, those who, those who come to be in his kingdom. See, this is not the act of some regular king that we may know. 
This is not the normal acts of the king that we might have in our mind. You see, don't read this forgetting about what we've already learned about Jesus in the previous verses of chapter one. Yes, the king is in the midst of the people, but this king that we have is no regular king. This king is the creator of the universe. This king is the light of the world. This king is the word of God in flesh. This king is the son of God. This king is the one whom John said, the sandals of which I'm not worthy to untie. This king that comes is the lamb of God. We can't forget that as we continue to read some of these stories, which may make Jesus seem very human, rightly so. But this is a Jesus who is also the divine king walking around in the midst of his people, calling them to follow him. Walking around the Sea of Galilee to call his people to be his children. You see, the response is that those who follow him, those who follow him, they go and do the same thing. They go and tell others to come follow Jesus. This is what Andrew did with Peter. And this is what Philip is doing with Nathaniel. As Jesus has found them, he's told he's, they're going to others and saying, come to Jesus. But I'm led to believe that as Nathaniel heard about Philip's testimony of this Messiah, he wasn't too convinced. I believe if Philip had just left off the part that Jesus was from Nazareth and is the son of Joseph, he probably would be just fine. But he added that phrase that Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And I don't think Nathaniel was too convinced that anything good could come out of Nazareth. Could any prophet come from the area of Galilee? This seems too human for Nathaniel. This seems too humble for a king to come from Nazareth. It's too humiliating for this king to be in the midst of his people dwelling from a place like Nazareth. It's too much. Well, the king is too much like me. How can this king save me if he is like me? If he comes from the same area as me, if he dwells among me. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And even more emphasis to be added, maybe, can the one who's supposed to deliver me come from Nazareth? You see, Philip doesn't say yes or no to this answer, though, to this question. He doesn't give him a yes and no answer, but instead he gives him an invitation. He gives him the invitation to come see. And this is actually where I would like to talk to some who may be skeptics in the room. You may have doubts about who Jesus claims to be or if he really is one who can save you or deliver you or if he should really be the king over your life. Well, I don't want to start giving answers just just as a matter of fact, but I would like to give you the invitation to come and see. Come and see his word from the youngest of you to the oldest of you. If you want to test and try and see if Jesus is the king of the world, just come and see. Come and read his word with us. Come hear the preached gospel. Come gather with us and see that, yes, this is the king of whom we should serve. 
This is the one whom we should follow. And this king has come for us. He has come and dwelt among us. He's come and found us just like he came and found Philip. This king has come for us. And Christians, we ought to be people who model this. We ought to be people who model what it looks like to come and see Jesus, who come to see of his word. I think if we do not model that, we'll fall into the ditch of being those who only want to be marketed to. We'll fall into the mentality of we don't really have to come and see him unless there's a goodie bag attached to it. You should be the main people who want to hear the gospel preach. You should be the main people who want to hear the word poured over your life and talk to you. You ought to be the first people into the doors at Sunday school and during the morning service, during Sunday evenings, praying with one another on Wednesday night. You ought to be so excited to come and see this Jesus because you know him to be the king of your life. And if we don't have this mentality as Christians, it's going to be really hard to convince others to do the same. How will they come and see if we don't desire to come and see? Christians, let us model this for a world that is watching. If we ourselves do not desire to come and behold our king, we won't invite others to do so. We will only stare and share when it's good and beneficial for us. But yet see the model given to us, though. See how the king goes after those who have rebelled against his kingdom. Philip was no righteous person. Philip was a sinner like you and I. But he goes after those who have rebelled against him. He gets out there among the people. He doesn't sit in this throne. He doesn't sit in the hard dwelling places, but he comes and he enters in among the people. Those who will follow him, though, will imitate his ways. And if we're to be a good local church and a healthy local church, we must imitate the one of who is our head. We must imitate Christ in his works. We must imitate him as disciples of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have jobs. Yes, we have time limitations. We have physical limitations. We have investments and other things. But if we to be the church that Christ has called us to be, we must model this. We must go and be among others. We must go among the fishermen. We got to go amongst the places where it don't smell too nice. We must be among the people that are skeptics, that don't believe, that are not convinced about this Jesus. And we must give them the encouragement, the invitation to come and see with me. When was the last time you were able to give that that invitation to come and see with me, behold with me this Jesus? Take time in your conversations to give the invitation to come and see the one who has found me. Although I once was lost, I am now found. This is our invitation, which we should be giving to others. Maybe a simple way you can start by doing that is walking a a community that's close to us. Maybe you can just maybe if you can't walk, maybe it's to drive around a community and to pray for each individual house as you pass by them. 
to pray that someone, that some way that they will receive an invitation to come even here or to another local church that somehow that they will be able to see the good news of Jesus Christ, that they too would be found and that they too would follow this Jesus. Start by praying around those in your neighborhood. Praying with those who you go to work with. Tell them how you once were lost but have been found and you invite them to come and see the one who has saved you. These are just simple ways of which we can follow the one who has found us and inviting others to do the same. But our second point, follow the one who knows you. Follow the one who knows us. Verses 47 through 48. You see, verse 47, Nathaniel comes to Jesus, probably with all the questions in his mind, probably skeptical of whether or not this is the true Messiah, the true deliverer, the true king. But before any introductions are made, before any greetings are made, Jesus greets him as if he already knows him. Now, we've had this encounter before. We, we know what that's like. We've had people come up to us and be like, hey, how you doing? But you look at them, it's like, I've never seen you before in my life. And so if we want to admit it, we've been on the other end of that, too, where we have gone to somebody and said, hey, how you doing? Then to realize, oh, that's not the person that I thought it was. You see, Nathaniel must have had an experience just like this. Jesus has approached Nathaniel, and as he walks to Nathaniel, Nathaniel is being heralded by Jesus. Jesus is announcing Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is like, How do you know me? Have we met before? How is it that you know me? You see, it's not that they had met, or Nathaniel had simply forgot who Jesus was, or had forgotten his face, but when Philip would call Nathaniel, Jesus had already saw him. Jesus had already knew him. Jesus had already seen him underneath the fig tree. You see, this is just the divine foreknowledge of God. You know, we talked about this idea of Jesus is actually God. We see this in his omniscience, in his all-knowing, his all-seeingness of his nature. You saw that in Psalms chapter 147, verse 4, he says he determines the numbers of stars. He gives to all of them their names. He sees all. He knows all. Hebrews 4.13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom he hath to do. Psalms 139.4, he even knows everything that they will say. He says, even before there is a word on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it all. Acts 1.4, he knows the hearts of men. He says, you, Lord, know the heart of all men. You see, Jesus' knowledge is not just content on just like a base surface level knowledge of us. This is an intimate knowledge of us. This is an intimacy of which he knows his people. He knows even who we are, who we were, and who we are to be. You see, the name of which he calls them even gives them new names. He gives Simon the name Peter. Verse 42, he's no longer called Simon, but he calls him Peter, a rock, and which we'll see more information about there in Matthew chapter 16 upon the profession that Peter makes about Jesus. 
that he was the Christ. And Christ says, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's high praise given to a fisherman. A fisherman to be a pillar of the Christian faith. But then again, in verse 47, he as he talks and, and announces Nathaniel, as he knows him, he gives him a name. He says, behold, in verse 47, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Which leads me to question, does Jesus know who Israel is? Does Jesus really understand who is Israel? You see, Israel was the name given to Jacob. Jacob, whom God called Israel. You see, if you know Jacob, you might know some of his story, but if not, you can actually read of it in Genesis. Starting in Genesis, you can read of the story of Jacob. But in chapter 27 of Genesis, we see that Jacob's story is nothing but deceit. That's all it is. Genesis 27, we see that Jacob deceives his father in bestowing his brother's inheritance on him. And what influences him to do this was the deceptive nature of his own mother, Rebecca. Then in Genesis chapter 29, he is deceived by his uncle Laban into marrying his older daughter Leah instead of Rachel. This deception just continues to go in Genesis chapter 30 and verse uh, chapter 31. He deceives his uncle by taking a large portion of his flock and then fleeing away with his daughters. The deception continues. You see, now it's not just in Jacob, but it's in his own children. Jacob's children would deceive his own, their own father, making them think that their own brother had been killed. Joseph deceiving him by bringing their father this cloak of many colors, saying Joseph had been killed when actually they had sold him off. And the deception doesn't stop there. The deception is all the way through Israel, down through Jacob's sons, down through the kings that will come from his lineage. But it's almost an oxymoronic statement that he makes here, though. He claims that Nathaniel, as an Israelite, which there is no deceit. It is almost as he's recreated a new Israel, a new people. To each and every one of us here, Jesus knows each and every one of us just as intimately. More than we can know ourselves, he knows us and he sees us. He knows our deceitfulness just as much as he knows about the deceitfulness of Jacob and the whole nation of Israel. He knows the sinfulness of Israelites and he knows where they've been. He knows how they've wandered away from him. He knows how they've hidden underneath the fig trees. In the Old Testament, we see the fig trees is often used as a sign of judgment, that those who sit underneath the fig tree sit underneath judgment. He knows that this is where the people have made their homes. He knows that this is where people have hidden. And my friends, and I know it's scary to be exposed in such a way. Look back in the garden. When they realized that they were exposed, they covered themselves with fig leaves from the fig tree. They didn't want to be exposed like this to their God. They didn't want him to know that we are the sinful people. 
And even knowing all of this about us, Christ comes to us just as we are. But he does not leave us as he found us. Yes, he knows that we, what he is calling us to be. No longer are we just this deceitful Israel, this deceitful people, but we are being made new. No longer are we just, we're not just sinners, but we're sinners that have been saved by grace. We see this change and Christ has welcomed us to receive this change, to no longer be the old self, but the new self of which he is calling us to be. Our king has welcomed us home into his kingdom. So what should we do with this? Well, I believe Romans 15 verse 7 gives us a great application. It says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For this gives glory to God. In the body of Christ, we will have plenty of opportunities to do this because prayerfully we'll get to know each other. And as we get to know each other, we will recognize that we do not always agree with each other. We will face many different opinions and we will strongly disagree with one another at times. We will come to know one another and find out that we have different ideas about who to vote for. We'll have different ideas about immigration. We'll have different ideas about race. We'll have different ideas about education. We'll have different ideas about COVID etiquette. We'll have different ideas about parenting and who should be the next pastor. We will all have these different ideas that oppose each other, especially as we come to know one another. And so often churches have fallen because they have failed to be welcoming and charitable to one another because they found out that they are fully not like the other person. And they want to completely unlink with them. They want to completely throw them to the side because you are not enough like me. Oh, saints, what if Jesus had done that to us? What if one look at us, Jesus said, you're not enough like me. So I'm doing away with you. You see, there are enough people in this world making war against one another. We have an opportunity to be welcoming to one another. And if we cannot be welcoming to one another as Christians, we will have a hard time welcoming in non-Christians into our homes and into our lives. You see, we do not have what the Lord is making them into. You see, when we meet those non-Christians, they're rough around the edges. We have to be people who are welcoming and patient with one another and with them and with ourselves. You see, our invitation may be, may be how God begins to reveal to others how he wants to intimately know them. He is calling us to give this invitation to people so that God can continue to work on them and work on us. We are not finished products. God is working on all of us. So we get to follow him as he makes us known to one another and to himself. You see, although Israel may be known for his deceitfulness, Zephaniah 3.8 has a different vision, a different prophecy in mind. In verse 8, it tells us that underneath this new king, this true king, those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice. And they speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue for they shall graze and lie down and none shall make them afraid 
God is creating for himself a new people, not like the people of old, but a new creation. And we are called to follow him because he knows that's what he's making us into. He knows them as he's making us into more in his image. But then our last point as we come to a close here is to follow the one who delivers you. Verses 49 through 51. You see, Nathaniel proclaims that you are the son of God and the king of Israel. These are really just messianic terms given. And you'll see these terms come back up again in John chapter 12. You'll see this idea of the, as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, they'll herald him as the king of Israel. You see, Nathaniel makes this claim solely based on the fact that Jesus knew him. But there are greater things to see, says Jesus. Verse 51, it reads, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending on the son of man. For those of you who may know, you may recognize that this harkens back once again to Jacob. Jacob and a dream that he had in the vision of Jacob's ladder, which connected from heaven and earth. And now the angels were ascending and descending in this ladder that in Jacob's vision. But now in John's text, the ladder is no longer there. The heavens have been opened and now they descend on the son of man. They ascend on the son of man. And if you and he tells Nathaniel, you know, you think you've seen something, but just wait till you get to know me and just wait till you see what I do. Jesus is about to make heaven open and accessible to his people. No longer do we need special visions or a ladder to receive our our heavenly home, but it is now through the son of man. It is through Jesus himself that we have a way into heaven, which we have a place to go where God is enthroned for all of eternity. It is through the son of man that we have this home that we can enter into his kingdom. And it's only through the son of man. There are no extra ladders for you. It is only through the son of man of which we have access into his heavenly glory. It is the only way anyone can have access to his heavenly glory. So unless you have trusted in this Jesus who died for your sins, repented and believed in this Jesus, heaven is not your home. But if you trust in this Jesus, if you trust in the son of man, if you come to him, he gives you access to be reconciled with God to be brought back into right relationship with him. We have this type of king that reconnects us and reconciles us with our God. We don't need anything else. We just need the son of God. So I would like to invite you to come and see. Follow this one who found you, who knows you who knows you more than you know yourself, but he also delivers you to your heavenly home. This is the one whom we should follow. And if you don't know this person, I invite you to come and see the one who delivers you. He saves, he knows you, and he is here with you. Let us pray.
What a mighty God that we serve. Angels bow before you. Heaven and earth adore you. What a mighty God that we serve. He was mighty and gracious and kind to give us this type of hope in Christ Jesus. So my prayer is that we would follow him all the days of our life until we have been brought to that home in heaven with great joy and glory. Father, we look forward to your promise and we look forward to how you keep your people. We ask these things and all things in Christ's name. Amen.